Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin with breaking news in the impeachment inquiry into President Trump and an admission by a top Trump aide that he told the Ukrainians if they wanted $400 million in aid from the U.S., they would need to publicly announce they were investigating the Ukrainian firm Burisma. And, as he also put it, quote, Burisma equals Biden. It's all part of the release this afternoon of two explosive transcripts related to the Ukraine scandal. Kurt Volker, the former U.S. Special Envoy for Ukraine, and Gordon Sondland, the U.S. Ambassador to the EU, testifying as to their discomfort as President Trump pushed them to his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, and Giuliani pushed them to get the Ukrainians to announce an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden. As Sondland put it, quote, it kept getting more insidious as the timeline went on. That is the word that President Trump's own ambassador that he appointed used, insidious. Though the deposition transcript was released today, Sondland was forced to revisit his earlier testimony from October 17th and amend it. Sondland is now acknowledging that he informed a top aide to the Ukrainian president of this quid pro quo aid for investigations and that he had that conversation with the Ukrainian aide on September 1st when the aide was still being withheld, the military aid. In other words, it's not true that the Ukrainians did not know that there was this alleged attempt to force them to investigate the Bidens at the time. Sondland calling the quote demands by Trump and Giuliani to have Ukraine investigate the Bidens improper and potentially illegal. Quote, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the law exactly, Sondland said. It doesn't sound good. CNN's Alex Marquardt kicks off our coverage today. In black and white, one of the president's top envoys changing his testimony, now admitting he told Ukraine's leadership that hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid were being held up until President Trump got the investigations he wanted. Ambassador Gordon Sondland, who's a longtime Republican donor turned diplomat, who gave money to Trump's inaugural committee, amending his original testimony, writing, I now recall speaking individually with Mr. Yermak, where I said resumption of U.S. aid would likely not occur until Ukraine provided the public anti-corruption statement that we had been discussing for many weeks. That public statement that Trump wanted, according to the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, was that President Zelensky go to a microphone and say he is opening investigations of Biden and 2016 election interference. Those investigations were being pushed by the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. There's really only one story. All of the witnesses agree that the president engineered a shakedown of the Ukrainian government. In Sondland's transcript released this afternoon, when asked if what Giuliani was doing was illegal, Sondland responded, I assume so. That's illegal. You cannot solicit a foreign power 
to investigate American political parties or your American political opponent. Over time, Sondland said things got more insidious. The demands on Ukraine bigger and bigger, and Ukraine would have to play ball before the Ukrainian president got a meeting with President Trump. The problem grew for the State Department, which was fully aware of what Giuliani was doing, Sondland said. And when Sondland raised it with his boss, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Pompeo rolled his eyes and said, yes, it's something we have to deal with. Another member of the trio in charge of diplomatic relations with Ukraine was former special envoy Kurt Volker, who, according to the new transcript, told the Ukrainians about the Giuliani factor and described the extent to which Giuliani controlled Ukrainian access to Trump. The Ukrainians believed that by speaking to Rudy Giuliani, they could communicate to President Trump, Volker was asked. That information flow, he answered, would reach the president. And the president's spokesperson has just responded to these transcripts uh, released today. Stephanie Grisham saying they, quote, show there is even less evidence for this illegitimate impeachment sham than previously thought. She also highlights parts of Sondland's testimony where he's uncertain and adds no amount of salacious media biased headlines, which are clearly designed to influence the narrative, change the fact that the president has done nothing wrong. Jake. Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this. And I want to dive into the section uh, where Sondland, uh, the president's ambassador to the EU, uses the word insidious. He says, quote, this whole thing was sort of a continuum. It started as Trump saying, talk to Rudy. Then let's get the Ukrainians to give a statement about corruption. And then, no, corruption isn't enough. We need to talk about the 2016 elections and the Burisma investigations. It kept getting more insidious as the timeline went on. And then at the end of that continuum, I became aware that there might be a link between the White House, White House visit and aid to the Ukraine that was being held up. Uh, David Urban, uh, you're a 2020 Trump campaign advisor. Insidious is Sondland's word, not Adam Schiff's, not the media. It, it's Sondland. Yeah, so, so a couple of things about um, Ambassador Sondland, right? So, you know, it, it, interesting that his, you know, goes back to correct this. I think Ambassador Sondland may have a, an issue with uh, perjured himself in one case or another, so... Maybe he may be facing some legal jeopardy of his own um, to, to begin all this. But, you know, I, I don't see in here, and Jake, I didn't, you know, get a chance. I'm just reading the excerpts, right? right? But I don't see in here anywhere where it says, the president told me to do X. President told me. It's, no, no. My, he says the president told me to go to Rudy. Right. And then Rudy and he, did and all he this. Said, and he said, what did he talk to Rudy about what? And he said, I don't even know. I wasn't even sure what to talk to Rudy about. And yeah. this is the Solomon's testimony says. I was unclear what I was supposed to talk to Rudy about. So the connection between the president and and where Sondland thinks he is, yeah. there's a giant leap that needs think, to be Mike? filled in. I mean, giant leap is interesting given, as you say, he's Trump. this is no longer a case of, you know, we talked about this last week when I was on the show, never Trumpers. Trump made this smear of uh, Vindman, Alexander Vindman, the NSC guy, and Bill Taylor, the acting ambassador of Ukraine, saying they're never Trumpers with no evidence for that whatsoever. Now we have Sondland. You can't call him a never-Trumper when he donated a million dollars to Trump's inauguration committee and was rewarded with this plum still ambassadorship wor- he still works for to the EU. He wasn't qualified to be ambassador to the EU. Fiona Hill testified that she was worried he was a national security risk. But Trump gave him that job. Trump told him to talk Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani, we know, is in, a, is in a lot of trouble with some of the nonsense he said from the testimony that's come out today, the conspiracy theories that they were pushing. And I think, you know, uh, the problem now is that, you know, Everybody who's come before this committee, pretty much everybody, has either said they have a problem with the phone call or that the phone call was, you know, when they saw the phone call, it was, a, it was an issue. And that's why the Republicans, we've discussed this endlessly here, 
keep attacking either witnesses or the process or Adam Schiff or the media or Stephanie Grisham, because there's really no counter-argument okay, in terms of what's been seen. Or- so I want to bring other people. Yeah, uh, sure. I'll come back to you. Uh, so, Sungman, silent told, this is, this is what a lot of people think is the most important line in all the testimony. And, and David's right. Uh, he did have to amend his testimony, and there were questions about whether he had perjured himself. And so he went back, and this is what he says. He's talking about September 1st. He tells a top aide to Ukrainian President Zelensky... Uh, and he says, I now recall speaking individually with Mr. Yermak, that's the aide to, to the Ukrainian president, where I said the resumption of U.S. aid would likely not occur until Ukraine provided the public anti-corruption statement that we had been discussing for many weeks. And we know that that anti-corruption statement has to include the 2016 election and Burisma. And as Sondland puts it, Burisma equals Biden. Well, this is why the idea of a quid pro quo is becoming such an uncomfortable point of discussion, particularly for Republicans on Capitol Hill. And we reported last week that there's actually been a shift in the Senate Republicans messaging. You know, it goes against what the president has been saying all along, that in this perfect call, there is no pre quo pro, that there hasn't been any. But we have a growing number of GOP senators saying, well... Looks like there was a quid pro quo, but it's okay because A, it's not impeachable. B, the president didn't seem to have a criminal intent here. He wasn't acting on corrupt purposes. And C, it happens in foreign policy all the time. A couple problems with that, obviously, goes against what the president has been saying. And it just also shows how... you. on when the president is asking his defenders to defend him on substance rather than process, it becomes a tricky thing for a lot of Republicans. I think that's particularly why uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is not, to be fair, a talkative person to begin with, mm-hmm. finally said today <laughs> during his weekly uh, news conference that he's not going to comment on the daily drip, drip, drips coming from the testimony. You know, he'll just stay out of it for now. So, David, I know I, I, you were talking about the, tra- the excerpts. So the hundreds of pages of, uh, of transcripts, what Sondland says is these instructions about what the Ukrainians need to announce is coming from Rudy. So Trump right. tells him to talk to Rudy, and Rudy makes these demands. Right. That's but, the insidious but, but, Again, and, and so I guess you know, to, to my point on the evidentiary basis of this, right, there still is no smoking gun in effect of... There's no phone call. No, no, but my point is, again, until, and, and this is all great, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't hear one Republican today changing their position in the House. I don't hear one senator saying they're going to vote for conviction now. This is just a lot of white noise still. Right? All right. Well, Nia, let me show this. Sondland describes the effort to get Ukraine to investigate the Bidens as demands from Trump and Giuliani, directly coming from Giuliani. He was asked, there were demands, weren't there, that an investigation take place of 2016 or Burisma. That's the firm where Hunter mm-hmm. Biden was on the board. Ultimately, those were demands, were they not? Sondland, ultimately, yes. And it's fair to say that you had to navigate those demands. You had to accommodate what the president and his lawyer wanted if you were going to set up this meeting you thought very important. Sondland, I think that's fair. If you mean that those conditions would have to be complied with prior to getting a meeting, that was my understanding. That's another example of a quid pro quo. Those conditions would have to be complied with prior to getting a meeting. Yeah, and he's saying that those were the president's uh, and Rudy Giuliani's uh, demands. And we know from the phone call, the, the memo of the phone call, that it is Donald Trump who is saying uh, that Giuliani essentially knows what he wants to happen uh, in this situation and that Zelensky, right, should talk to Giuliani. So I think it's going to be very hard to sort of uh, say that Giuliani is operating apart from the president. I mean, these. Uh, but you're not even are- criticizing Giuliani. Uh, listen, I, I think that the mayor Giuliani. Giuliani did is uh, is is far afield of what is normal in an administration. I'll say that, right? But he didn't do that on his yeah. own, David. No, no. Listen. Oh, I, I think that he I, did it with instructions. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Have you? Uh, okay. I, I think that's a big leap to make. 
Well, I think I think the mayor Giuliani. I think the mayor Giuliani does lots of things. Right, but talk to Rudy about what? Talk to Rudy about what? Talk to Rudy about everything. Okay, you you show me. Yeah, we do know. We do. One at a time. But we do. But not in here. But in the July 25th phone call. No, no. He tells Zelensky to talk to Rudy and to and to But but again, you can't you can't conflate. There needs to be there needs to be clear lines. You can't conflate talk to Rudy in one instance. Meaning, talk to Rudy about Barisma. Talk to Rudy. I mean, th- this is that all is th- what the president said. Talk to Rudy he, about. He did, on, he did on the call on the twenty fifth. Absolutely, did on the call on the twenty fifth. Okay, is that not Which enough? Is about- no, no, is that no, not listen, enough no, no. But I'm talking about what Gordon Sondland says here, okay. right? I'm talking right. about two different, two, completely two different. Things. We have a whole other transcript to go through. <laughs> Another transcript excerpts reveal that Kurt Volker, the special envoy to the Ukraine, felt he needed to clean up Rudy Giuliani's work. We're going to show you that exchange next. Plus. The highest ranking request yet. Democrats now want to interview one of the president's top aides. And that's not the only person on their list. Stay with us. Thank you very much. And thank you. We're back with the breaking news deposition transcripts of Kurt Volker, the former special envoy to Ukraine. And Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union, are now out fresh this afternoon. They paint a stunning picture of how much concern there was within Trump's own administration about President Trump and Rudy Giuliani's push for Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, in exchange, in their view, for security aid in a White House meeting. Let's talk about the, some of the Kurt Volker uh, testimony. Uh, Neil, let me start with you. Question. Uh, this is about uh, Volker's concern about uh, Rudy Giuliani spreading conspiracy theories about Ukraine. Uh, question. And Ambassador Volker, just to be clear, in your opening statement, you referred to a problem that you had to deal with. Answer, yes, this was the problem. Question. Rudy Giuliani was the problem. Answer. The negative narrative about Ukraine, which Mr. Giuliani was furthering, was the problem. It was, in my view, it was impeding our ability to build the relationship the way we should be doing it, uh, as I understood it. And he also talks about how when he heard that Rudy was go- Giuliani was going to Ukraine to talk to a former prosecutor, he called up and said, this guy's not credible, don't listen to it. But this ended up... Uh, costing at least one U.S. ambassador her job. Yeah, and, you know, Rudy Giuliani obviously all over these transcripts, uh, all over, you know, sort of the president's plan here, uh, and this idea that the president seems to have have had for many, many months, if not years, uh, that Ukraine was somehow out to get him, right? That they were part of the 2016 uh, plot to interfere in the election. And so you have Giuliani in the the middle of this. You have people complaining to Secretary Pompeo about Rudy Giuliani and him essentially saying, you know, this is a problem that has to be dealt with, rolling his eyes at some point. I think that was in the Sondland uh, testimony. Oh, yeah. Let's, well, let's yeah. bring that up. Yeah. Um, let's go to the Sondland testimony. It's 2.5 uh, in, the, in the script here. Here's how Sondland described how Secretary Pompeo viewed Giuliani. He's asked, quote, uh, did you ever discuss Rudy Giuliani with Secretary Pompeo? Sondland says, only in general terms, question. And what did you discuss? Sondland, that he's involved in affairs. And Pompeo rolled his eyes and said, yes, it's something we have to deal with. Uh, you know uh, Pompeo. He's a West Point classmate of yours. Uh, the, if I if I can interpret the eye roll, it's, oh, God, I have to deal with Rudy Giuliani and this stuff. Yeah, so listen, I would imagine that there are lots of people who advise the president that give lots of cabinet secretaries you know, a little bit of agit every once in a while. I don't think that's unique to this administration. I would think that that's kind of it. Oh, no, no, no. The president was asking people at Mar-a-Lago no. to advise him on how to reform the Department well, of Veterans Affairs. Okay. I can't think of any president in American history who's done that. Oh, okay, well, that, that you know of. That's fine. I mean, I'm not sure you're, you're a historian and know everything that happened with President Carter or President Bush. Listen, this president is, is definitely unique and definitely does things outside the norm. That doesn't mean it's wrong. The law. That's, 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 no, that's, that's, that's we all agree that he's unique. Uh, <laughs> yes. so let me. Volker says, uh, this is back to number two. Volker says he tried to talk to Trump 
He tried to talk to Trump and Giuliani, tried to talk them out of believing yeah. uh, the conspiracy theories uh, about Burisma, uh, about uh, Biden trying to uh, fire the prosecutor there, et cetera. Quote, I believe that Giuliani was interested in Biden, Vice President Biden's son, and I had pushed back on that and I was maintaining that distinction. Question. Mm-hmm. So you were maintaining that distinction because you understood that that whole theory had been debunked and there was no evidence to support it, right? Answer from Volcker, Yes. I think stepping back with the whole Giuliani issue, I mean, and again, we can argue like we did in the last block about how much of a legal um, threat that this poses with exactly what has been testified before the House committees. But at the very least, the Rudy factor is a political problem, a messaging problem for the administration. And clearly, I don't think it's a coincidence that Giuliani has gone a little bit quieter Mm -hmm. these days. He's not on the airwaves. He's not on CNN or the other networks as often because every time he goes on, (laughs) he goes on um, and says a lot of things on air. Sometimes he says things that causes causes some trouble for for the president. It's and the Ukraine issue is certainly not the first time this happened. uh, You know, this has happened uh, throughout his presidency. Republicans who are trying to kind of keep their head down would prefer Rudy not talk as often. Seems to be listening to that. Would you? Would being. you prefer the Rudy stop? L- l- listen, the mayor is sometimes a great advocate, sometimes not a great advocate. What about in this? <laughs> what about in the Ukraine situation? Yeah, I think in this situation, it just muddy the waters. I think yeah. that, I think everything needs to, everybody needs to exhale. The water needs to clear. Let's Did he cut ties great. with them? You think? No. I would not. No, uh, it's only a matter of time till Donald Trump says, I, Rudy Giuliani, I don't know him. I've never met him. People say I've seen him. Um, I mean, it's just highly inappropriate. We can talk about historical standards to have him in this role, like freelancing around Ukraine, Ukrainian officials telling Kurt Volker and Sondland, should we talk to Rudy? What do we do? How do we get in good with the president? Uh, his personal lawyer, a private citizen, hasn't been mayor for many years, is there in charge of this. He wanted to be Secretary of State, if memory serves me correctly. He didn't get that job. And I would say there are questions for Mike Pompeo to answer about how is he okay with being the Secretary of State in this administration and having Rudy Gianni basically doing all this stuff on the side? And just to read the part that you're just referring to, there's a point in which Volcker is asked, uh, and, and he, the answer is, the Ukrainians believe, uh, the question see the Ukrainians believe by speaking to Giuliani they could communicate to President Trump. Mm-hmm. Volcker says that information flow would reach the president. How question, is that okay? Because Giuliani would convey that information to the president, presumably correct. Answer, yes. In other words, he's kind of like this freelance, free-floating ambassador out there. Everyone stick around. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. The impeachment inquiry is closing in on President Trump's Inner circle, the highest rank official was just summoned to testify this week. Who is it? That's next. In our politics lead today, Democrats want acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney to testify Friday as part of the impeachment inquiry. It's not clear if Mulvaney will show up since the White House has ordered staffers to not cooperate. But as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, one Trump administration senior advisor may be preparing to ignore that advice. They've been plotting to overthrow the election since the first hour that we won. One day after President Trump railed against the impeachment inquiry at his Kentucky rally, his chief of staff was summoned to testify before House impeachment investigators this week. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. Democrats are looking to wrap up their closed-door depositions before going public. And Mick Mulvaney is the highest ranking official they've called so far. In a letter, Democrats say they believe he has substantial firsthand knowledge and information relevant to the House's impeachment inquiry. Did he also mention to me in the past that the, 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 the corruption related to the DNC server? Absolutely. No question about that. It's unclear, but unlikely that Mulvaney will show up. However, one senior aide to Vice President Mike Pence is expected to. 
Jennifer Williams was on that July call with the Ukrainian president and would be the first person on the vice president's staff to appear on Capitol Hill. The fallout from the inquiry has spread throughout the administration. After a senior aide to Energy Secretary Rick Perry failed to show up today, Perry refused to answer CNN's questions. Secretary Perry, would you be willing to testify publicly? Did you hear any mention of Burisma? The president and his allies have continued to insist it's all a ploy by Democrats to take him down. The reality of the process is totally going to vindicate him, and I think it's going to hurt people in the middle. Now, Jake Williams, that top aide to Vice President Pence, did travel with him to Poland, where he met with the Ukrainian President Zelensky, a trip that President Trump was supposed to go on, but instead stayed back to monitor a hurricane. She has since hired an attorney who is not responding to requests for comment right now. And we should note that if she does go on to Capitol Hill and testify, she'll be the third official who listened in on that call to do so. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House. Thanks so much. Let's discuss. Uh, Sungmin, in the letter uh, requesting... Uh, Mick Mulvaney's testimony, the Democratic chairman leading the impeachment inquiry, right, quote, the evidence and public reporting suggests that you played a central role in President Trump's attempt to coerce Ukraine into launching his desired political investigations. They go on to describe his uh, briefing at the White House last month as a, quote, televised confession. <laughs> but most White House officials have been refusing uh, to go to these um, uh, depositions, even if subpoenaed. And this isn't a subpoena. Exactly. And it goes to it's, it's yet to be seen whether they take that additional step to try to compel him to testify. But even if he does, you can turn this to the courts, which is what's going on with some current subpoenas right now. And as we've seen with the courts, sometimes Democrats do win these legal battles at the end of the day, but end of the day. But what's working against them is time. And I think considering um, the various West Wing advisors um, who have or, or administration officials who have declined to appear before Congress so far, I would not I'd be extremely surprised if Mick Mulvaney came along. And and, and uh, David, let me ask you, just this week, four White House officials refused to show up after being subpoenaed to testify on Capitol Hill, two National Security Council lawyers, a senior budget official, and the top aide to Mick Mulvaney. Two aides who were requested, not subpoenaed, requested to testify today didn't show up, an energy advisor and a budget aide. Um, at a certain point, do you worry that this makes the White House look like they have something to hide? No, I just think that it, it just it exemplifies the fishing expedition, right? Uh, the folks that are listed on there are are people who have absolutely zero to do. You know, Wells Griffith, um, some, some of these folks are fairly um, remo far removed from any of this. Well, one of them put, the, one of them put the, the rough transcript into the secret well, no, no, that, that be, Correct, but I'm saying the, the laundry list of people, mm -hmm. it, it, it appears that, um, I, I, so I don't, I don't believe there's any political uh, blowback for, for them not appearing. What do you think? I mean, Mulvaney, obviously, is not a fishing trip. He's the chief no, no, of staff. But, but the, the list know, of these but, seven but are... We start with Mulvaney, and right. if he doesn't turn up... I mean, I think the, the Democrats' description of televised confession is a good one. It's one that they should stick to in terms of their own messaging. I mean, just a reminder, this is what he said. He said at the time, uh, absolutely no question about that, that the president mentioned corruption in the DNC servers, and that's why we held up the money. Yeah. That's why we held up the money. That's up there with, uh, do me a favour, though. I mean, these are, this is why, to go back to our earlier discussion, you can't really defend on substance. You have to say it's either not impeachable or you have to drone on about secret hearings and Soviet style behind. That's all the Republicans have, because again and again, and, and Don Jr. was on TV this morning saying everyone should go and read the transcript, which I find hilarious, because reading the transcript is what's got his father in trouble.
It, it is true that the, the, the president keeps saying, read the transcript, and the transcript so far is, is rather is, damning because he brings, up the, he brings up the Biden. Yeah, he brings up the Bidens. He brings up Burisma. He brings up the DNC server from 2016. Somehow he thinks uh, he's going to brand the transcript and brand this call as perfectly reasonable. Uh, he's got these huh? T-shirts. He was, uh, I think, in Mississippi or Kentucky recently where people behind him had the T-shirt on that said, uh, read the transcript. Not as catchy as make America great again, but, you know, do what you got to do. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't think Republicans are necessarily going to get on board with this idea that this was perfect. I think the question is, even if they say this was terrible, not impeachable, then sort of what is the punishment for a president who does this? How do you prevent him from doing this again? Which is ultimately where I think a lot of people think it's going to end up. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't have done it, but it's not impeachable, although we're not there yet. Clearly, uh, everyone stick around. Senator Rand Paul, now repeating the president and attacking the whistleblower. Boy, what a, a difference president a few years Trump make. We'll show you. Stay with courage. us. He faces down the fake media. The whistleblower needs to come before Congress as a material witness. I say tonight to the media, do your job and print his name. That was Kentucky Senator Rand Paul at a rally with President Trump last night, taking a page from uh Trump's playbook attacking the credibility and integrity of the whistleblower who sounded the alarm and and trying to get the media to reveal the whistleblower's uh, identity. Um, uh, Phil, uh, as a former FBI and CIA analyst, uh, what do you think when you hear Rand Paul saying we should be revealing the whistleblower's identity, even though his lawyer or her lawyer has done everything they can to say we don't want this out there? Boy, you know, at a personal level, I hope I don't meet Rand Paul anytime soon. I mean, that's appalling. You forget about the legalities of this, and I, I would bet, I haven't talked to a lot of my friends back in the business, but I would bet they share this view. You worry about personal security. First of all, what's the significance of the investigation? We know what happened already. We saw some of it break out today when, when Sunland said, yeah, yeah, we did this. So we know what happened already. You don't need a whistleblower for substance. But you release the name. you got to deal with stuff like personal security. I'd want somebody, if I were him or her, checking my mail, looking for stuff like anthrax. So the government's checking my mail. I want 24-7 around the house. And then if I have a family, I want to be relocated. And so, Laura, you're a former federal prosecutor. Uh, I want you to take a listen to Senator Paul today uh, talking to Suzanne Malveaux on Capitol Hill uh, about what he said. The whistleblower statute protects the whistleblower from having his name revealed by the inspector general. You don't think this is dangerous to actually out the whistleblower? I mean, the president has said that he's uh, treasonous and a traitor. I think that uh, the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution is very clear, and I think that what we should have is that you should have the right to confront your accuser. What do you think about that argument? So it's okay to break the law via proxy, according to a senator. Is it against saying, the law to reveal I mean, the whistleblower's name? The notion that, well, the spirit of the law says that you're not supposed to ha- retaliate against the whistleblower, and that would, and in terms of employment practices and the like, you're not allowed to do that. The spirit of it, it says, the reason you want to protect is because you want to encourage people to come forward with any grievances and any information about abuses of power and the like. And so technically revealing the name and leaking it would, I don't think would be technically illegal, but it it, it, it violates the spirit of the law that a senator who's part of the legislative branch of government 
has written to say, here is the law as it stands. And remember, the intelligence community already has exemptions in place, unlike what happens with other civilian employees. Civilian employees who are not in the intelligence community, they can go to court and get legal recourse if they are fired or retaliated against. Those in the intelligence community don't have that same avenue. And so the senator essentially is undermining his own legislation. He didn't write it, but its own um, branch of government. I saw a lot of libertarians on social media today expressing dismay at what Rand Paul said. And, and for the record, uh, in the past, he was very strong when it came to uh, expanding whistleblower protections. Uh, here's Senator Paul uh, back in 2015 in the wake of the Edward Snowden revelations. I would extend the whistleblower uh, statute for people who want to come in and want to tell an authority, an investigator general or somebody, if they want to reveal that they think something is being done illegal. So what happened? Just a Republican got elected president? I guess so. I mean, I, I just don't understand this at, at a general level. Let's say, take it out of the political realm. You see financial fraud in in the CIA, which is where I work, and it's substantial financial fraud going to hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. You want to maintain your career. Wouldn't you want to say, hey, my supervisors who have control over my career are doing something wrong? I think I have the right to, to anonymity to go forward and say, you need to investigate John and Jane Doe without being outed. I don't understand why this is a big deal, because otherwise you're going to discourage people from saying when they see fraud in government. You want that to happen? I don't think so. And then, of course, uh, there are two Republican senators who disagreed uh, with Rand Paul uh, earlier today. Uh, let's play that sound. Whistleblowers, particularly those that are uh, blowing whistles on action, action within the government, uh, should be allowed to remain confidential. So going after the whistleblower, I think, is misdirected. We need to know who this person is, because without the complaint, there would be no impeachment inquiry. OK, so two very different takes. Mitt Romney saying protect the whistleblower's identity. Lindsey Graham uh, saying out the whistleblower. And neither of them are actually addressing the particular facts in this case. Remember, here's the issue. This is like shooting the messenger. For what reason? This is like saying, here we have a package full of mail. We have the mail bomber. We have corroborating testimony from everybody. And then guess what? I'd like to know the person who actually delivered the mail to the person, unrelated. This is shooting the messenger. The whole key here is you have corroboration, you have testimony. That's what we need to hear. That's what started the impeachment inquiry and the conduct of the president himself. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, Phil Mudd and Laura Coates. Drama in court today for longtime Trump friend and confidant Roger Stone. The odd request that abruptly stopped the first day of his criminal trial. How Stay you feel with today, us. Sir? In our national lead today, day one today for the criminal trial of longtime Trump crony Roger Stone. It all started, of course, with that early morning raid in South Florida when authorities came to his home. And then, of course, there were those. News conferences where Stone mimicked his idol, Richard Nixon, but the charges are, of course, no joke. Stone is on trial for obstruction of justice and other crimes, accused of misleading Congress during its investigation of Russian election interference, lying about his efforts to get information from WikiLeaks and witness tampering, among other charges. CNN's Shimon Prokopis joins me now. And Shimon, day one, and there's already been drama. Roger Stone had to leave court. Yeah, he wasn't feeling well. It all started this morning around 10.15. Uh, he went to the bathroom. Uh, his wife followed him. Uh, she said he wasn't feeling well. He was in there for quite some time, came out. And then later in the afternoon, um, he asked the judge if he could be excused uh, for the rest of the day. Um, he wasn't feeling well. The judge let him go. The judge even offered him some emodium uh, to try and see to get him to stay in court. That didn't happen. He left. But there was even more drama. We had a uh, witness, a uh, 
juror seated, seated in the um, audience who collapsed. An ambulance had to come and remove them. And then there was an f- argument of some kind in the hallway between two Roger Stone associates. So that sort of turned to a thing. And, you know, when you think about it, this is just the beginning of this. This is just jury selection. We're supposed to start opening statements tomorrow. Uh, and then we should start seeing some of the more interesting witnesses, associates of Roger Stone, come in and testify. Now, what a surprise that a Stone trial would start off as a circus. Um, this trial. trial is happening, of course, as the impeachment inquiry is going on. Um, are there any larger implications of Stone being tried for lying to Congress about the Russia investigation, which actually has quite a bit to do with the Ukraine it, it, scandal? In the end, yeah, it does have a lot to do with the Ukraine scandal. Um, it's, we're just going to revisit a lot of everything that went on during the Mueller investigation. There is a chance that we're going to learn some new things that are redacted in the Mueller report that could come out. And obviously, what did Trump know? How much did he know? How much was Roger Stone sharing with people close to him? A lot of that is going to get revisited at this trial. So that's where we could start seeing some, some of the drama and some of the implications for the president. All right. Day one, we'll be seeing a lot yep. of issues. Yeah. I appreciate it. Also in our national lead, it is Election Day today. President Trump is not on the ballot today, but today marks a big test in how his brand, not to mention impeachment, is or is not resonating with voters, with President Trump pushing hard for Republican victories in Mississippi and Virginia and Kentucky, as CNN's Diane Gallagher reports. It's Election Day. Three states with major contests, which could be seen as a test of the impact of impeachment and Donald Trump's political power. If you lose, it sends a really bad message. You can't let that happen to me. An election eve push from the president in Kentucky, a state he won by nearly 30 points in 2016, for unpopular Republican Governor Matt Bevin, who was locked in a bitter race with the Democratic Attorney General Andy Bashir. Now, Bevin has run a campaign with a national focus, heavily featuring his support for the president. Kentucky is leading the way and that we support the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. But Bashir, the son of a former Democratic governor, believes the key to winning what has become the deep red bluegrass state is a focus on local issues. This race isn't about who's in the White House. It's about what's going on in the houses all across Kentucky. A similar situation in the ruby red state of Mississippi, with the gubernatorial race between Democrat Jim Hood, a state's attorney general, and the Republican lieutenant governor Tate Reeves, whose campaign has also embraced the president. I'm standing with President Donald Trump, and Jim Hood is standing with the liberals. You all know me. I've worked for you for years. I do my job, and I'm a straight shooter. Hood, Mississippi's only statewide elected Democrat, has run a moderate campaign with intense focus on Medicaid expansion. And in Virginia, a different story. Several tweets, but no visits from the president. Instead, it's 2020 Democrats showing support for candidates. Let's elect these guys and everybody else who's running as a Democrat. Fighting to flip control of both General Assembly chambers, which are narrowly controlled by Republicans. And here in Mississippi, there's an additional hurdle for the candidates for governor. It's not enough to simply win the popular vote. The candidate also has to win the majority of state house districts. And Jake, to complicate it even further, uh, if there's a split tonight, well, the Republican-controlled legislature will decide who gets to be the governor. All right. Van Gallagher in Jackson, Mississippi. Thanks so much. Coming up next. A really rough story. The American family ambushed in Mexico. Some members even burned alive. How relatives realized that their loved ones were the victims. Stay with us. A horrific tragedy to tell you. 
in the world lead. The slaughter of Americans near the U.S. border in Mexico, those murdered include three women and six small children. Gunmen apparently shot up their caravan of SUVs and set them on fire. Family members say one of the children who survived walked 14 miles to get help. As CNN's Matt Rivers reports. I think a lot of us are just speechless. It's, um, it's horrific. Family members in shock after a horrendous attack by suspected criminal groups left nine people dead, including three women and four small children and two babies. It happened Monday while they were traveling in a caravan through northern Mexico, just south of the border, headed to pick up family for an upcoming wedding. I just can't believe that this actually happened to our family. It just seems like a bad dream. Family members tell CNN the group was driving between the Mexican states of Sonora and Chihuahua in a caravan for safety reasons when they were attacked by an armed group which sprayed the car with bullets and set at least one on fire. Mexican government officials say it's unclear whether the attack was targeted or a case of mistaken identity, with the shooters mistaking the families as rival groups. Kendra Lee Miller is the bride at that upcoming wedding. She tells CNN her sister-in-law, Ronita Miller, is among the victims. Nita was one of the most vibrant, happy souls that I've ever met. She was just had so much spark and life in her. Kendra says Ronita was driving one of the vehicles with four of her seven children to Tucson, Arizona, to go shopping for the wedding. 43-year-old Donna Langford and her two children were in another vehicle, and 29-year-old Christina Johnson and her seven-month-old son were in a third vehicle. Seven children overall were injured in the attack and are now hospitalized. None of my grandchildren made it out. It burnt to a crisp. And my daughter-in-law, and they're about as innocent as they come, and I'm not saying it because she's gone, but she was a good mother to those children. They're innocent as the day is long. The victims are all members of a Mormon community in northern Mexico, not affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Jake, that boy you mentioned off the top who walked all that way, before he walked those 14 miles, he hid his six siblings, likely saving their lives in the process. All right, Matthew Rivers in Mexico City, thank you for that horrible story. appreciate it. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.